Welcome back to Northway's D Group Podcast. I am your host, Rodney Mills. So glad you're back here to visit with us again. We're a group of sold out followers of Christ on a quest to apprentice our lives to Jesus, learning to love and live and lead like him. And for the last few sessions, we've been talking about what it means to live like Jesus. Specifically, we've been talking about quite a few spiritual disciplines that Jesus and the saints throughout the ages have implemented in their lives. These disciplines lead to divine intimacy with God himself. They lead to spiritual transformation as our hearts and character are reshaped, causing kingdom righteousness to be obvious in our lives. But the third and perhaps most important outcome of spiritual practices is that of others' reorientation. Spiritual practices should lead us to loving other people more. So in this session, I want to talk about that loving others dynamic even more deeply. And I want to introduce you to the spiritual discipline of sacrificial service. Christy and I have been small-time operators in the real estate investment business for quite a few years now. Uh, Mostly, we've bought houses for ourselves, and when the time came to move on, we simply turned them into rental houses. But I'd like to admit something to you, though. We're just not very good at it. (laughs) For a few months uh, in this particular situation, I knew that the relationship between one of my renters and myself was coming to a not-so-good ending. Late and missed rental payments culminated with them finally moving out, and I had suspicions that we would walk into an unclean house littered with leftovers and trash. Don't ask me how. You just kind of know it. And this wasn't anything we hadn't expected before. I mean, it's not uncommon to walk into houses that have pet stains and a few holes in the wall. Goes with the territory. And so I started making my plans to take a few days to get the house back in shape and then to get it listed to rent again. The house was about eight hours away in a city that we lived in previously, so it took me some time to rearrange my schedule. And finally, we arrived at the house, and I'm going to tell you, it was as if a dark cloud hovered over it. The yard was littered with junk. The storm doors were literally flapping in the breeze. The lawn was out of control. But I'm telling you, much more, worse than that, was waiting for me on the inside. Because when we went into the house, sure enough, though their contract didn't allow for pets, the carpet was worse than anything I've ever seen. And still, those things are kind of easily dealt with by replacing carpet, painting walls. However, as it turns out, the renter had taken it on himself to reconstruct the whole backside of the house, a sunroom that runs the length of the home and the construction work was unfinished, and clearly, I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, the dollar signs were beginning to add up. And that still wasn't the worst of it, because now the thunder was really beginning to roll, and I could see a major storm was brewing. And so I stepped out into the backyard. Panic gripped my heart. There was a burn pile the size of a high school bonfire, a new cattywampus workshop built from some leftover something, I don't even know what. The, the yard was overgrown to the height of my chest, and even higher in some places. And nestled among the weeds were these piles and piles of junk. 
I'm telling you, this was a reality show waiting to happen. I had stumbled into a hoarder's nest. I have never, ever seen so much junk. So I called to have a dumpster delivered, and I found a few day laborers to help us remove all this junk. Two, two guys, they worked for four hours, completely filling the first commercial-sized dumpster, and you could hardly see a dent in all the junk. Another dumpster was brought in, another three guys worked, another four hours until that dumpster was also filled to the brim. Then a, a contractor helped me review the back of the house. We could see that my tenant's construction project, well, f- fell way short of completion. And all, as all this started adding up in my budget spreadsheet, I had a moment where I called Christy and, and told her that we only had two options. Either we find another stupid investor to dump this house on, or we find a gifted arsonist who could help us to get the whole problem to just, you know, go away. <laughs> But alas, she and Lizzie talked me down off the the ledge, and we began formalizing an actual, more legal solution. Now, why have I elected to air out this dirty laundry here with you? Well, as he often does, God began teaching me some powerful lessons, showing me his love and grace in ways that I could never have, man- have, never have imagined in that story. To many, myself included, this house, I'm telling you, it seemed hopeless. It was certainly beyond my own ability to bring it back to life. It stunk. It was ugly. It was unfinished. It was abandoned. It was the joke of the neighborhood. And everyone that walked in said something like, how do people ever live this way? But God turned this house into a metaphor. And I began thinking about all the people in the world who are just like that house. People who are written off forgotten, neglected, people who for one reason or another, perhaps of their own choosing or the injustices of the world, they're the joke of the neighborhood, or even worse, totally invisible to people around them. And then I even thought that even though I've been blessed in my life more than ways I can describe, I too, I too have been a broken, wounded mess in need of repair and rehabilitation. More than once, I needed the love and attention of God to rescue me from my own disastrous life. How about you? But it wasn't just the house itself that God used to teach me with. He began to put together a team of people to bring this house back to life. But I gotta tell you, this is no ordinary group of people. I started by calling my good friend David. Dave was my drummer for nine years at a church where I served as worship pastor. David's story was not unlike my own broken-down house that we were about to repair. He was a drug addict for years. His girl, his girlfriend, actually murdered. But David finally found Christ as the rescuer and redeemer of all the mess he had made. And so while we served there at that church, Pastor Kerry Skinner, he mentored Dave through our counseling ministry and, and helped him to actually even start a special ministry to addicts and severely broken people, a ministry called Restored, and it still meets weekly. David owns a a landscaping business now and employs many of these guys that are trying to get back on their feet out of Restored's ministry. David is also a fellow real estate investor, so I asked him where I might get some help with my project. And so he gave me a resounding yes and introduced me to the Pasco Home. The Pasco Home is a, a halfway house ministry for folks getting out of prison, getting off of drugs, and they all attend Dave's Restored ministry every week. And so as I employed all these guys to help me clear away the junk and help me with repairs, 
Stories began to emerge of how thankful they were to be working in the sweltering heat of my disastrous backyard, grateful for the chance to do something useful with their lives. And I started seeing it. God was using broken people to put my broken house back together. Well, that's not all. My air conditioning system didn't seem to be working at 100% efficiency, so my go-to guy for needs such as this is an air conditioning guy by the name of Joe. Joe is another one who came through the counseling ministry and through Restored. He gave his life to Christ, was baptized, and he went through my new believer class that I taught for so many years there at that church. I'm telling you, he's a true testimony of how God can turn a life around. And Joe, he brought a helper with him. His name was Lester. And I could tell Lester was different. Most of his teeth were gone, either from meth addiction or or simply to neglect. And as I got to know his story, it came out that he had been homeless only just a few months earlier. And Joe had taken it on himself to reach this often forgotten group of people. And as it turns out, he had three homeless guys living in his backyard trying to help them find a way out. Well, Lester looked up at me one day as we were working. He was so grateful for what Joe was doing in his life, so totally aware of the love of God. And he told me that as soon as he got back on his feet, he was going to start a Bible study for homeless people. He said, I used to feel as though I was all alone. A lot of homeless people feel that way, he said. They need to feel what I feel. They need to know they're not alone. I'm starting a Bible study for them. I mean, no doubt. God was using broken people to bring, my, to bring back to life my hopeless, broken-down rental house and to affirm his calling on my life and really the church in general to be a people of hope. I mean, after all, that's what we are too, right? Just a bunch of broken people that God has called to bring life to other broken people, right? Oh, perhaps my heart is more tender than ever towards these issues Since we started our annual journeys to Uganda a few years back, when you visit with a lady sitting on the ground outside her mud hut whose broken legs were never properly mended due to lack of proper medical attention, who can now only scoot along in the dirt, who has never slept on anything but the cold, hard ground, and yet who still raises her hands in worship when a word of prayer is offered on her behalf, Something about your perspective of life in general begins to be reshaped. Your heart has changed, overwhelmingly so. Think back with me to our lessons around the subject of compassion. You remember that? We discovered it was a primary motivation for Jesus. Remember, compassion is God's loving heart being moved into action. Loving compassion allows your eyes to be open to see the world the way God does our hearts breaking for the things that break his heart. So allow me for a few moments to present to you a glimpse into God's perspective on the poor and the marginalized of the world. When we look at scripture, There are nine words that are most often associated with God's heart related to these issues. I want you to notice these with me. Fatherless, orphans, widow, poor, hungry, stranger, needy, weak, and oppressed. You see, these are the often forgotten, the disenfranchised, the defenseless, the poor, the powerless, the lost and lonely those who need our help and love and service. 
This is not just a side note or a peripheral subject in God's Word. No, it speaks to the very heart of God, and I would suggest that meeting these kinds of needs is one of the primary themes in all of Scripture. Let me show you what I mean. Early on, as Moses was writing the law, God gave clear instructions. He said, give generously to the poor and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed to your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Psalmists and kings would echo God's compassion command. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And God promises to never abandon those whom society has forgotten. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. Who is like our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. Blessed are those who help, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Oh, are you hearing this? And the prophets would continue to hammer home his heart. Learn to do right. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And the Lord of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son, They called him Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God one of us. And as the moment came for him to step onto the ministry stage, Scripture says that he went to Nazareth where where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to Proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so it went that Jesus began living out this passage to the disdain of the religious critics, reaching out to society's outcasts and forgotten, having dinner with those rotten tax collectors, forgiving adulteresses, setting free the prostitutes, teaching how racial prejudices are wrong, how the social order of things are upside down, suggesting that the first shall be last and the last first, and how when we've given a drink to the thirsty, or we've clothed the naked, or we've visited the prisoner, when we've done it, Under the least of these, we've actually done it unto God himself. 
One day when he was asked how one might experience eternal life, Jesus told one man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and come follow him. And I think this is the crux of the matter for a lot of people. Perhaps we're confronted and convicted of our sin. And in our moment of guilt, we pray a sinner's prayer, and rightfully so. But what most of us don't realize is that Jesus is challenging us to two callings. Yes, the first calling is to be called out of our sinful, selfish ways, to rethink the way we've been thinking, metanoia. But we're not just called out of sin. We're called into his mission. He calls us to follow him, to go where he goes, to love how he loves, and to serve the way he does. Jesus suggested that this is a whole new way of leading and living when he said this, you've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, how quickly a little power goes to their heads. And I bet you've been around some leaders like that, haven't you? But Jesus said, it's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who were held hostage. And I'm just going to tell you, friends, to truly be a follower of Christ is to be a servant, to give your life away for the sake of others. So we've seen how Jesus launched his ministry with his servant declaration to give hope for the hopeless and helpless, the blind and the bound, the marginalized and forgotten. But then, like a bookend to his opening declaration, as his ministry is coming to an end, this king of kings wraps a towel around his waist, kneels before his disciples to do the most menial of tasks. These imperfect and broken men are shown what it really means to be a follower of Christ, to be a servant, as one by one he washes their feet. But Jesus doesn't just do it as an example. He turns it into a command. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. And we're going to talk even more specifically about that story in the weeks to come. But then, to top it all off, Jesus proves just how far he is willing to go to give his life away for the sake of others by laying down his life on an old rugged cross, taking on the sins and transgressions and all the inequities of the world upon himself. God himself suffers the ultimate injustice in his eternal quest of seeking justice for the human race he loves with his whole being. And even in that darkest moment of all history, as he hangs there on the cross, he turns to a crucified criminal, another outcast, and he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And he looks down from the cross at even his worst enemies, those whom you and I would think deserve justice the least, and he cries out to the Father to forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. But this calling to serve the least of these didn't just end when Christ ascended into the heavens. Nah, his, his closest followers picked up the mantle. John would say, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And then in James's letter, what I believe to be a commentary on the Gospels, or even more specifically, the Sermon on the Mount, this brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, he outlines the mandate for hope-giving and servant-living with such clarity. 
He said pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So don't you see it? This calling out of sin but into the mission of God? And in case you think I'm just making this stuff up, let's let James preach here for just a few moments, and I'll let you decide. James says this, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? I mean, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see... Faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God? Well, good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? (laughs) Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? That is a real straight up challenge, isn't it? Well, maybe you can tell. I get pretty passionate about this subject. That's because I believe that God himself is passionate about it even more than I am. And I think we can see that the Bible is quite clear that we have a responsibility as God's people to be his loving heart in action, to be his hands and feet. And as you're building a rule of life, I hope you'll prayerfully consider how to implement this kind of serving into your rhythms of life. And just let me suggest a few ways that we can get involved with that. First of all, of course, we can give financial resources to meet these kinds of needs. I mean, I really believe that's one of the primary reasons to live the unencumbered life, to live lives of simplicity and frugality so we have more funds available for those who need it more than we do. And I do hope you're thinking about what your giving patterns will look like in your rule of life. But I would encourage you to not stop there. Giving your money is a wonderful and God-honoring way of meeting that need. But he also calls us to get involved taking care of the sick, visiting people in jail, actually giving the cup of water and clothing to those who need it. So generosity moves beyond sacrificially giving our finances to sacrificially giving our time as well. So here are a few more suggestions. As you know, from time to time, Northway joins together as a whole church to do projects in our region. Uh, We join together to serve our seniors, flooding our city to do yard work and light maintenance projects for senior adults that can no longer do it themselves. We serve during holiday toy drives and Christmas parties for those in need. And and as I mentioned earlier, we take these trips to Uganda and to Honduras. And so perhaps you'll want to carve out time in your calendar to make sure you're a part of those church-wide efforts as they come along. Next, I think there's a strong possibility that many of you might actually find a cause related to the least of these that you might even feel called to. We have partnership opportunities at Northway where you could commit to an ongoing volunteer role, from Interfaith of the Woodlands to the Kairos Prison Ministry to the Pregnancy Assistance Center to 
Compassion United and Destiny Kids up in Conroe. There are plenty of places to give your life away on a regular basis. Maybe it's once a month or even once a week. I know your life might be busy, but don't rule it out that God may have a special group of people for you to give away your life to. Lastly, I want you to think about sacrificial serving as a discipline of spiritual transformation. You see, as you learn to serve others in need, God uses that serving to train you away from arrogance, possessiveness, envy, resentment, and covetousness. And he uses it to train you in humility and to develop a loving others kind of focus. Spiritual disciplines bring about spiritual transformation, a transformation of our character. And of course, they should also cause us to be more loving toward others, an others reorientation as we talked about. Sacrificial serving certainly has the power to do both of those things, a transformation of character and a loving others mentality. But spiritual disciplines also brings about divine intimacy. We commune with God in a lot more ways than in a quiet time or even praying the hours with the church. Let me tell you what I mean. Uh, I will never forget our first trip to Uganda. Dozens of ladies in our church and elsewhere had made 150 pillowcase dresses for the girls at Acres of Hope. Once we had them sorted, one by one, those little girls came through to get the right size, and they were so precious and so grateful. They went to another room and, and put them on, and when we went out to see them, it was just the most beautiful sight you could ever behold. Those bright colored dresses up against that black as night, perfect skin. And that night, as we were trying to process what God was doing in our hearts, it occurred to me that if there's anybody in the world that qualifies as the least of these, it was certainly these little children. Many of them abandoned, forsaken, abused, raped, tossed out. And the only thing I could say was, Jesus sure looks good in a dress. Oh, it may sound strange in our day and time to say such a thing, but if we take Jesus at his word... When we've done it unto the least of these, we've done it unto him. And when I looked into those faces, I really could sense I was looking into the very face of God. Jesus surely did look good in a dress that day. Ah, oh, friends, can I just tell you that those children in Uganda need us? There are addicts and prostitutes and homeless families in Montgomery County that need us. There are orphans and foster kids with nowhere to turn that need us. There are prisoners who need to know that life is not over. There are teenagers surprised by pregnancy that need us. These are the broken down old houses that need to be brought back to life. These are the least of these in our time. Practice the spiritual discipline of sacrificial serving and just watch how God changes your heart and life and in turn, how together as his apprentices, we change the world.